Hello, so vegetarianism and veganism is something I've been interested in a while. I think this is partly because I saw my grandma practice a form of it. As a Buddhist, she would go weeks or months without eating meat. So I think from that cultural aspect, I've always had some association with vegetarianism or veganism. But there was a lot more questions that I had to ask and that I wanted to ask. And this included things like, why does someone become this? Is it cruel to eat animals? What are the benefits of actually moving to a more sustainable lifestyle? So I asked my friend Yenfei some of these questions and as someone who's been a vegetarian and her whole life and actually just transitioned to being a vegan a few years ago, I thought she was very suitable to answer these questions. So I hope you enjoy and have fun. Hello everyone, welcome to Safety Last. Today I am joined by a friend of mine, Yen Fei, who we met in primary school. Is that that's correct, right? Yes. I don't remember which year, because it was so long ago. But I think yes. were we in the same cohort? I think so. I think we yeah. were in a class at least for one of the years. Yes. I don't know. We were, yes. we were you know, so young. <laughs> I went to the same primary school as you in year f- I, I started going to that school in year four and in year five but I left in year six unfortunately that primary school was like so fun and I, I still keep in contact with a lot of the friends uh, that you might know for example Joe and Renard and those mm-hmm. people I still actually keep in contact with them so yeah but I left in year six and then I think I reached out or you reached out no I think it was I who reached out it was like, you four years ago and then we started chatting and talking and we actually went and got vegetarian food together do you remember that did we do that yeah we did <laughs> you might sorry. not remember no no don't, don't, don't be remember sorry remember that where did we go do you remember we went to Parramatta went to Parramatta it was like a vegetarian from memory it was like a pizza shop but it was like vegetarian from memory or it had oh, the option of choosing yeah okay no no no. i remember now sorry okay, good. no no you're good and yes but that did happen yeah yeah good i'm glad i'm not just like daydreaming i'm not i'm glad my memory is still like it was intact. All a dream. <laughs> and i you know as i started podcasting more i would go through my friends list naturally and just think about people with different ideas now I've said this a few times before but I'm really interested in just different experiences and different mindsets and different perspectives and something that is quite interesting to me is the vegetarian movement or the vegetarian or the vegan idea or the vegan movement and you are a vegan is that correct yes and you transitioned from vegetarianism a few years ago to vegan is that correct yes that is also correct awesome well did your research yes (laughs) well how about this i'll let you just talk about yourself for a few minutes and if you want you can plug your instagram because you share quite a lot of tasty (laughs) treats very visually aesthetic so mate that um yeah i'm kind of off the social media train now so i ain't plugging anything oh you don't you don't 
use the social media anymore. Oh, actually, it's been. It's I love been how you while. just called it the social media. My yeah, God. I'm really sure. My how age old is. are you? <laughs> <laughs> the interwebs, the um, the socials. Like, just quickly on that. Like, I've just, I guess, in the last couple of years, I haven't been really active on social media. It's just kind of draining and just becoming not a fun platform anymore. And I just want to spend time on other things. So I've prioritized kind of focusing on being present doing activities out rather than being online not that there's anything wrong with that but just personally i just feel like it's healthier mm-hmm. yeah that sort of thing but yeah don't really know how to introduce myself so i'm just gonna go super basic but yeah so my name's yen fei i've grown up in australia basically my entire life i was actually born vegetarian so my parents they became vegetarian themselves in their teens oh I think my mom became vegetarian when she started dating my dad no so it wasn't about religion it was more faith was a part of it but it was also just ethical reasons Mm -hmm. and that was some that was a decision that my dad made on his part I think when it was about 14 his whole family actually became vegetarian so my grandma and his sisters and my grandpa as well so they did it together as a family and back in the day, that was a lot more, how would you say, uncommon? I don't even know what year that was. I mean, it's still very uncommon. The idea of a whole family transitioning to a sort of diet together as a unified cohort. Oh, yeah, I guess so. When you put it that way. I think I was just thinking more like, oh, someone making that lifestyle choice as like a singular person. But yeah, you're right. Like I didn't think of it as a family unit. It's not as common. Usually one person starts and that change will kind of filter through and make waves throughout the family but yeah so that's kind of like my dad's story and when my mom met my dad and they started dating she kind of felt bad (laughs) why am I telling my parents story (laughs) (laughs) this is transitioned from veganism to like you know history time of Yen Fei (laughs) pretty much it's like why am I telling my origin origin (laughs) story this makes no sense but yeah pretty much they started dating and my mom felt bad because she felt it was kind of awkward that she was eating meat in front of Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, like it wasn't awkward really for my dad in the beginning. But if you, you know, if you start a relationship with someone and becomes quite serious, food is Mm -hmm. kind of an integral part of that experience. When you go out and eat, you don't want to, it's not, I guess, pleasant to face that day to day. But anyway, that's their story. And yeah, so they decided to raise their family vegetarian. So me and my two brothers, we've been raised to be vegetarian our whole lives. And then I think, I don't remember the exact year, but around, I think in my early 20s, that's when I started thinking more about veganism because that's when it's really it really started being popular on Instagram. That was when Instagram was popular in the sense that everything was in chronological order and hashtags actually worked and, mm-hmm. you know, it was actually a growing community and a lot of people were joining on and getting really excited about the platform and people becoming monetized and that sort of thing was a lot of opportunity, a lot more opportunity back then. And I was kind of exposed to that and I was really inspired by a lot of these people who were speaking about kind of their decisions to become vegan. And it, it was an idea that crept into my mind and something that I explored more and more as I was spending more and more time on Instagram and yeah and then one day I watched a documentary and 
I know that sounds kind of cliche because a lot of people are like, oh, you watched a documentary and then, you know, all of a sudden you need to like change your entire life. But it was, it wasn't a documentary about factory farming, which a lot of people would cite as their reason for becoming vegetarian or vegan. It was more a documentary about the history of humanity and really about what it means to be a human and what our place in the world is, which sounds quite deep. And I do think that it is a film that really prompts a lot of thinking and that's what it did to me. And so being in that mind state of being exposed to so many vegan influences online and then having that film come, like being exposed to that film, it was really a turning point for me. And so I decided right then and there, cold turkey, I'm going to go vegan. So Mm. yeah, what is this introduction? This makes no sense. (laughs) No, it makes perfect sense. So actually, I've got a few questions just to follow up on that. You said that Mm -hmm. uh, really quickly because I don't want to be derailed by this, but you said that the Instagram community was booming or it was quite useful or had many opportunities a few years ago. In 30 seconds, why do you think that is no longer the case? That's no longer the case because of the infrastructural changes just technically as a platform, they've made so many adjustments where it actually prevents small influences in growing effectively. And it's much harder to discover people and have that community. So so does that mean hashtags don't work as well? Like what does that mean it, when you say the infrastructure? So when I say infrastructure, one of the key changes that they made is that things no, no longer appear chronologically it's actually based on a mixture of things that you like more often or comment on more often. So say you follow like a hundred people, but you comment and like certain in like certain accounts more, like say you do like two or three quite often, then the platform naturally will show you their content more often. Even if they posted it two weeks ago or one day ago, they will just show it in whatever order and will just show you that content more often. So it's a part of their like algorithm adjustment and a way of kind of catering to your supposed interests. Yeah, so it's much harder to discover, like say someone who you recently followed, but you haven't really interacted with them much yet. It's much harder for them to show up on your feed because even if they posted two minutes ago, you're going to be looking at a post that your friend posted three weeks ago. So oh, okay. it's not, That's it's not necessary. Yeah. Like it's, it was quite a big change and a lot of people hate it and they still hate it. But I think recently Instagram said they're going to change back to the chronological algorithm, which makes mm. so much more sense. I don't know why they changed it in the first place. And um, do you, yeah. will you jump back on Instagram once that happens or are you just done with social media for now? Yeah, I think I'm done with social media for now. I'm I'm still on Facebook and Instagram because I still want to talk to my friends and connect to certain family and relatives overseas. So it's definitely has use for me still. But in terms of like actively focusing on growing an account and making posts consistently and stories and commenting on others posts like I find it isn't as satisfying or energizing for me anymore it does quite the opposite so I am still on social media but I only spend a bit of time on it every day Uh, okay cool well let's come back to the original topic so you mentioned a few terms such as veganism and vegetarian firstly what was the name of the film or documentary that you watched I don't think you actually said it 
Oh, yeah, I didn't say it. So the film name is Unity. That's it. <laughs> it's quite mm-hmm. simple. And I don't know who directed it. I'm terrible at remembering names. Doesn't matter. But Unity. That. So Unity. To, Just you know, search to it. To the audience, yeah. Go check it out if you want Unity. And follow-up question, just for some people that might not know the difference. What is the difference between vegetarianism or vegetarian and vegan? And more importantly, what are some foods that a vegan cannot or should not eat which a vegetarian can Hmm. this can be quite loaded okay not loaded is not the right word but there are different types of vegetarians and then there's also different types of vegans so you can Mm -hmm. get quite layered but as a basic concept essentially with vegetarians they will avoid products with animals and any animal byproducts so we're talking about you know meat fish gelatin, that sort of stuff. And then when it comes to vegans, you also avoid those things, but then you also add in no dairy, no honey. Well, that one's also controversial. No honey. No honey. Do you abide by that out of curiosity? I do. But in terms, there are exceptions. So I can go into that. But then there's also another level to it because it goes beyond food, like veganism can start with just your diet, but in terms of it as a lifestyle, uh, there's a lot more to it. So you can go into makeup, skincare, you know, fashion products, that sort of thing. There's so much to it because there's a lot of animal byproducts in the industry. Like one of them that's quite easy that everyone can relate to is leather. We've been told all our lives that leather is luxurious and it's something to be proud of, to own and to wear. And you don't really think about what is leather because in actuality, leather is an animal skin that's been Mm -hmm. treated and made to look a certain way. So obviously you don't want to tell people, oh, it's an animal skin. You're wearing an animal skin. It's a bit odd Mm. to to market it that way. So yeah, the industry has obviously put a fancy name on it, leather. But yeah, that's, that's basically the difference between the two. Okay, can I push back on the leather? So now I'm actually not that well-read on this topic. So mm-hmm. I did get this information from a very quick YouTube video, which might be biased. So call me out if you know the facts I'm saying are incorrect. But they said that a lot of cows are not actually killed for their leather. They're killed for their meat, which you know you can have issues with that. And then afterwards, then the leather or their skin, their hide is then used or transformed into leather. But Mm -hmm. so in that sense, I guess if an animal has to be killed or is killed, maybe it has to is too strong of a word, but is killed for their meat, then I guess it would make sense to quote unquote use the rest of their body. Maybe this is maybe this is unethical because would I say this about a human? I don't know, but use the rest of their body for products. Like if their main purpose of being killed is not actually for their leather or their hide. Mm -hmm. What do you think? What do you think about that? No, I know what you're saying in the sense that you're trying to minimize waste and maximize, just maximize the use of an animal's body. Right. Mm -hmm. But the fundamental issue is what you actually mentioned when you say they need to be killed. Well, what was that need initially? You have to think about where is that need stemming from? And a lot of the reason why animals are killed is for human benefit, for profit. So 
if an animal is being killed because you know they're they it's their time and they're going to sell their meat um, for human consumption and then they take all of the other byproducts and they make it into every other thing that's great that they you know trying to minimize their waste but then it's also like did that need to happen in the first place it's mm-hmm. what you just said was kind of justifying the reason for taking the animal's life and I I understand it and it's kind of like if you go to a restaurant and like there's a chef who basically uses every part of the animal's body because that's their way of respecting it that is that is something that I acknowledge and something that I do think is very conscientious and very thoughtful but then it's also for me the issue lies in fundamentally why does why do we need to exploit animals in that way why do we take pride in wearing an animal's skin and why do we put value on that as a society so that's something that i have an issue with not necessarily oh good on them for using every part of the animal's body it's totally okay now so that's my stance on it not everyone will be the same but when i first became vegan i did own a lot of leather goods because that's what i was exposed to when i was younger where it you should be happy that you have something made of leather because it's going to last longer it's going to look better over time it's cool it's edgy you know everyone dreams of like that leather jacket when you're younger because it's like oh it's so cool and you know it looks looks so great on me and I get that because I was exposed to that and I was in that as well and when I became vegan I didn't throw all my leather goods out immediately because it's like ew gross get out no I didn't do that what I did was I made sure that I either donated them because if I'm not going to use them someone else will or I used it to the fullest extent and for me it's about sustainability as well so that that was my choice not everyone does that every person is different when mm-hmm. it comes to you know these different topics so yeah on the leather I guess topic that's kind of how I handled it Can I jump in and ask a follow-up issue on the word sustainability so when we think of sustainable, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think of Indigenous people first. Uh, indigenous people in Australia or in the Americas and just their very close relationship with the land. A much more mutually beneficial and respecting, respectful, I should say, relationship with the land. Now, when Aboriginals kill, or I guess Indigenous or Native Americans, when they kill, like... You said they they try to use every part of the body of the animal. They mm-hmm. are very respectful. I've seen videos or discussions where like uh, a Native American will like you know thank the animal and then kill it and then consume it. So what do you think about that like sustainable consumption? Or do you think that's still immoral because it's still an act of consumption regardless of whether or not it's sustainable? It's interesting that you go straight to kind of the the more, I guess you would say, like ethnic part of this topic. Because a lot of people, when they hear about veganism, they're like, oh, are you going to tell people from the Amazon to become vegan as well? It's their mm-hmm. lifestyle. They've lived that for hundreds of thousands of years. Well, that history doesn't sound right. Ignore that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you're right because not everyone is in a position to become vegan. It's actually a very privileged um, lifestyle that one can choose to take. 
So when I, you know, when I look at these tribes that have lived this lifestyle of off the land and basically, you know, having farming animals or killing wildlife and making sure they use every scrap of their body, I respect that because that is the environment that they've grown up in and that's the environment they are currently in and that is their tradition. But I also think about, you know, just because it's their tradition doesn't mean it needs to stay that way. If they need to live that lifestyle because of their environment, then there's no reason why they should stop. And that is totally cool with me. And in terms of sustainability, I think it's a lesson that we can learn from them because as most of society, we live in a world where we want instant gratification. We don't think about the ramifications of our choices And we live in such a globalized world that we can get anything pretty much shipped to our door, but we don't really think about what goes behind each of those products or services that we sign up for. So I think because we're more connected as opposed to those tribes to the rest of the world, there's a lot more impact and a um, lot, lot more kind of choices that we have to think about a little bit more deeply because sustainability is a huge issue. And I think it's become more and more popular over the years. I don't know if you've noticed, but you know, more and more people are like, I mean, quite a simple thing. It's like with Woolies and Coles, they finally got rid of you know, the plastic bags and now they mm. sell the reusable bags. That's their company trying to do better with sustainability. So yeah, I'm like, in the last couple of years, I've seen actually seen so much progress, but it's definitely still, still slow going but i think for me with sustainability what i like to focus on is food that's one as fashion as well that's even an ev- even bigger problem i would say just because there's so much fast fashion out there and yeah like <laughs> something that becomes trendy just goes out of control and literally there's just so much waste when it comes to that and people will wear something for six months and then throw it away or it's just ridiculous like how much as how much we consume as a society so yeah there's a lot of things that we can like go into it a little bit deeper but yeah I guess I'll I'll turn the question back on to you it's like have you noticed that change or are you just is this like the first time that is really it's really coming into your mind Are you talking about the ch- change towards companies and sustainability? Yeah, like do you do you see that in kind of the companies that you'd like or when you're shopping, I'm guessing you shop online <laughs> or when you <laughs> shop in general, have you noticed that change? I see it, but perhaps I'm really cynical. I might be very cynical when it comes to companies. I see the change, but I'm always so doubtful. I guess I'm not sure if this is that relevant but i'll bring it up it has nothing to do with vegetarianism or veganism but i think it communicates my idea which is when i was living in london and i was walking around the country walking around the suburb walking around the city i should say i saw a bank that was celebrating two gay men getting married maybe there was a law that was passed or it was becoming more and more popular but there was a post of two gay men holding hands and they were opening up up like a bank account or a mortgage and i just mm-hmm. looked at that and felt like those companies were co-opting and taking the ideas of social justice or marriage equality 
and they were transforming it into a a, a selling point, a marketing point. And mm-hmm. that's what I feel about the sustainability. Like they might be doing sustainable stuff. I don't actually know because I guess you have to judge a company by company, but I'm very aware that ultimately their goal is profit. And mm-hmm. if profit and sustainability clashed, they would choose profit. So I have seen a move towards sustainability, but at the same time, I think just by the structure of our society or the economics or a company, they are performative. Like their main goal isn't to be sustainable. Their main goal is to be productive and earn a lot of profit. And if they can be sustainable and that gives them a good reputation, then that's fantastic. Yeah. No, you make a really good point because I 100% agree with that. Because if you think about it, a lot of businesses that keep growing and keep scaling, they do use that angle of like, they have to now think about, you know, what is their, what's their, what's their kind of sustainable stance when it comes to their particular product or service. And they do use it in a way to market themselves, to seem to the consumer more, I guess, agreeable and justify, I guess, their product in some way or their, their business, business goals. So majority of businesses definitely don't fit in that sustainably sustainable bucket. And there are very few businesses that actually genuinely believe in that sustainability cause and actively make choices that support that. So Coles and Woolies, even though they have that plastic bag reusable kind of policy now, it does not mean they are now suddenly the most sustainable company in the world. They're 100% still focused on profit. Their stocks go crazy. They went crazy over the COVID period. So you're right. And I think that with sustainability, it's actually small businesses that are local and know the market and have thought about each and every aspect of their business. Those are the ones that we actually need to support more because Mm. if you think about it, Amazon, cool, you can get something super cheap. And, but there's a reason why it's so cheap. And there's a reason why, because the, why it's so cheap also because they're cutting corners somewhere or they're exploiting a part of the, the part of the, the supply chain somewhere to make it super cheap, whether it's labor, material sourcing, that sort of thing. But with local businesses, small businesses, they don't have that power, that economic power to kind of leverage their size so there's a lot of actually really great local Australian businesses that are trying to make that difference. And I, and I really admire those people because it's definitely not easy because a lot of people would just go, oh, it's cheaper and faster if I get it on Amazon. Well, yeah, mm. of course. But do you know the weight behind that decision? Do you, have you looked at other more local sustainable options? And I would say most people don't because I admit it. Amazon is great. There's so many things on there that are so Mm -hmm. affordable, but it's also like they're definitely a company that's just focused on making a profit. Like, come on, Jeff Bezos, richest guy in the world. Yeah, there was a article that said, and by the way, it seems like veganism isn't just about food. Food is one element, but it seems to be a revolt or this pushback against consumerism and an exploitation of natural resources or, or labor or whatever it is. It seems to be... Uh, to be against a certain cultural or economic system that incentivizes max consumption. 
Would you? That's agree right. That? I would agree, but I wouldn't say every vegan would agree. For example, you know Oreos, right? <laughs> Everyone mm-hmm, knows Oreos. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves Oreos. Well, Oreos is owned by Mondelez, which is a huge global company that sells all type, all types of confectionery, or confectionery all over the world, and. Oreos are actually vegan. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> the white part in the middle is not like milk, which everyone thought, thanks to their really good marketing. It's actually just like oil that they've emulsified, something like that. So yeah, Oreos are vegan. Awesome. <laughs> but then if you think about it, it's owned by a company that definitely does not care about sustainability that much because one key product of Oreos is palm oil. Uh-huh. And if you mm-hmm. know about palm oil, Palm oil is harvested in a very unsustainable way. Literally, they will cut down hectares, millions of hectares of natural rainforest, like destroying the local ecosystem and habitats of the animals that live there and also the communities that live there. And they will basically plant these palm trees and will farm it. And once you use the land, you can't really reuse it. So not really a sustainable farming practice, but it's cheap. And that's why they use it. Like palm mm-hmm. oil is super cheap. And if you start to read the labels, and I think that's when you say like veganism is not about just food, you're right, because it's really not. But you, a lot of people start with food because it's something that everyone can connect to. And one thing that you start to do when you, Um, become vegetarian or vegan is you start to read labels and you start to understand more about the 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 kind of ingredients and the resources that are being put into making these products that we buy on a day-to-day basis and it's really about the conscious that that level of consciousness and thinking about your choice and really putting more weight on it so yeah I definitely yeah that's like kind of my stance on that Mm-hmm. Well, let's take this away from the political and economic commentary, which I think is very valuable. And I want to ask you something about veganism or vegetarianism directly. Mm-hmm. And the comment that I had, and I apologize if this question comes out a little wordy, I don't really know how to condense it, but it's just the idea that philosophically, I think life is constantly consuming itself. So whether that's the sun rising and then, you know, photosynthesis and then, you know, animals eat that and then the droppings and then that creates uh, room for bacteria to consume and then et cetera, et cetera. Or an animal dies and then their body gets eaten and their, their carcasses or their flesh becomes space for new plants to grow out of, et cetera, et cetera. It's basically like a circular diagram. You have a animal who then you know lives borns dies eats consumes blah 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 blah, and it's a it's a circle and would you say in that sense the act of consumption whether it's meat or just vegetarian products are they not life consuming life is it not a circular flow of energy or life force or whatever you like to say so in that sense us consuming a chicken is no different and by the way, feel free to push back, but no different to a a monkey consuming another animal. And just to expand on that, from what I've heard, even when it comes to vegetarian products, crops or you know plants, apparently farmers also need to clear land 
in order to plant them as well. So isn't there a sense of destruction regardless of whatever path you walk down? Okay, you were right. It is wordy. <laughs> I was like, okay, you started off with a circle, then you went human chicken, then you went monkey, other other monkey. I don't know. <laughs> but okay, so the first part, we I think I'm just going to kind of interpret what you just said. What I'm understanding is you're essentially saying that life is slick, life is cyclical, and it's a natural process, and that whole very science one-on-one based explanation like you're basically saying that it's natural for humans to eat animals right or rather that life is always consuming life and you said it was a science 101 i actually saw it in a buddhist sense that something grows and then it's almost like a transfer of energy so you know how in, well, actually, this might be more of a Hindu idea that like the Atman or the soul of a person gets transformed or reincarnated over and over and over again. So this core energy is moved to a different body. And isn't that very similar to the act of consumption? So when I eat a plant or when I eat an animal, I'm simply consuming part of life as a sentinel, as a as a figure of life. I'm not sure if that makes sense. So is not the act of consumption inherent to the idea of life? So me eating a rabbit is no different to a rabbit eating something else. I actually think rabbits don't eat meat. But anyway, regardless, <laughs> the point the point of they don't. the idea of them consuming, because that's technically life as well. So mm-hmm. anyway, this is a very, I feel like I'm speaking about it through like a Buddhist or like a, a Hindu okay. idea. But what is your response to the idea of, Life, to me anyway, inherently consumes life, whether it's meat or energy or plants or crops. What do you think about that? So I understand where you're coming from because I agree. Life, it is a constant process of, I wouldn't say consumption, but it is constantly evolving, whether we notice it or not. And your example of basically the sun, the plants, the animal, the human, all of that going around in a circle, you are inherently describing that circle. And you brought up the concept of reincarnation, which I'm familiar with. And the fact that you liken it with consumption or you say that it it's basically inherent within us, I wouldn't disagree with because from the moment that we're born, every breath that we take, every this does not I was going to say every step that we take I was like this sounds like a song I know I was like wait a minute I'm singing something but that the fact the moment that we are born we are you know we are consuming whether it be you know just very simple where every breath that we take in we exhale as well carbon dioxide if my science is correct that I do not yes. remember from year eight that's the one thing I remember from science. that's the one thing we needed to know from science <laughs> thank you high school but yeah like it is your it is right that we are constantly consuming but we need to think about the extent we consume because there are different levels to it just because we inherently have to consume doesn't mean we don't have to think about what we're consuming and the impact of our choices on what to consume not just food but you know everything else that i've mentioned before 
And when you talk about reincarnation, one of the key concepts that come into that is the law of cause and effect. And you have to understand what is that law. And when you have that understanding where essentially if you, every thought, every action, every word, if you understand that all of these have effects, whether you notice it or not, and not definitely or not all of them will have a direct effect, you will, I guess, more deeply understand that every every meal that you have or every bag that you buy actually has a lot of impact in the world. And I guess it goes back to what I was talking about before, where you have to live more consciously because you ha- you've recognized that now actually I have a lot of power and there's a lot of change that can stem from such a simple choice. And that goes back to that law of cause and effect where essentially I don't want to cause and res- uh, I don't want to be the cause of more suffering. But then it's also like, when is enough enough? Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I think I'm not a minimalist, but I do admire people who have you know chosen that lifestyle because they have recognized that they don't want to live that excessiveness in their day-to-day living. So they've chosen to make more sustainable, more long-term choices to live on not just the bare, I don't think the bare minimum, but just live on just enough and not overdoing it. So yeah, that's their, that's their choice. By the but yeah, way, I don't, just, I don't even know if I've answered the question. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think you make a fair point. I think there's a difference between just consumption and then overconsumption. But let's go to a previous question I said in regards to crops. And I'm not sure if this is true. So please correct me if, if oh, I yes, am. Oh, yes, you did mention that. Sorry. If I, <clears throat> if I am incorrect, but is there, or rather I should say, do farmers have to clear a lot of land to grow crops? And in that sense, is it still destructive to them? So, yes, of course farmers have to clear land to grow crops. Wait, you said That's... fathers instead of farmers. I, did I say father? I said farmers. <laughs> I think you said fathers. Anyway, regardless. Anyway, <laughs> farmers, both female and male, need uh-huh. to clear land um, to grow crops. That's how it works. Like, But... When you say a lot of land, that's when we're kind of entering that space of how society works, where the kind of modern way of businesses and how they produce things suddenly is scaled up so much because for some reason we always need every type of apple or vegetable year-round available in our local supermarkets And that's when it definitely becomes unsustainable because then they're starting to ship Australian bananas to America and think about logistically what the impact of that is. And there's, of course, a lot of resources that go behind it as well when we're talking about water and labor. And it it is excessive, I would say, in terms of how certain farmers would choose to kind of manage their business because at the end of the day, it is a business. And what we've talked about before, about their main priority being profit, that lends to the reason why they they have, they have run their business that way. And so whether it's they're growing rice crops or whether they're growing soybeans or almonds or whether they're farming paddle, 
you have to, there is an element of needing to take from the, take away from like the natural landscape and needing to insert something that is, I guess, artificially, maybe not artificially, but something that is constructed and not natural to the local ecosystem. And they're always going to need resources to, you know, grow almonds and potatoes and stuff like that. But the extent of which where the crops that are grown and then that are consumed by humans, as opposed to the crops that are grown to, that are fed to the animals that are then eaten by humans, that is a little bit different. I wouldn't say that I am very, how would you say, well-read on this particular topic. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of it and I definitely am conscious that I there's a lot more that I can learn about it. But generally, I can't say every single vegetable and every single nut and legume is going to be more sustainable to grow than meat because I know that is not true. There are a lot of crops that take more resources and that is just the fact of the matter. And that's how current businesses that are selling these products and making these products and selling it worldwide currently run. So there is an issue there that I recognize and it's not something that can easily be changed because the demand is there. Like, for example, how much almond milk have you seen in the supermarkets Mm, in the last mm. couple of years? The, every time I visit that milk aisle, I get so confused because there are so many brands and so many types. It's kind of insane. And that's like, that's, that's me looking at it and being like, okay, this is a bit excessive now where like, yes, it's become popular, but now they're just trying to make a profit off every, off the trend. This really seems to, and tell me what you think, but this idea seems to clash with a Western idea of individualism. The Western mindset, I think, is, and it stems from this idea that every person has an individual relationship with God and thus everything he or she does is inherently sanctified through their relationship with God, which is really, you could say, the underpinning of democracy every person has a certain voice has a certain right in endowed by their maker and it seems like this idea somewhat clashes this idea of being very conscious of your surroundings like don't drink enough alcohol or you know be tailor your alcohol or or don't consume as much because there can be xyz consequences seems to clash with this idea of i'm able in the Western mind to do anything I want because it's me, my body, my, you know, it's me, it's individualistic. Mm-hmm. I'm an individual. I've been sanctified by God to do whatever I want. And there seems to be a clash. Now I actually, maybe because I'm, I guess I have East Asian roots. I can see the importance of the circular thinking or the conscious thinking or thinking beyond the individual. But do you see that? clash or or is it just me do you see a clash between this individualistic very capitalist idea of i can consume whatever i want i can do anything i want at any time which is really the which is really the symbol of cars if you think about what a car is a car is the ability to transport or go anywhere at any time of the day regardless of public transport running at any at any moment and yeah do you see that as well or is that just something that i pulled out of nowhere (laughs) 
you you love talking about this. Like this is not the first time <laughs> that you've kind of compared Eastern and Western society. Oh, and I mindset. find them so fascinating. Yeah, for oh, sure. It's your brand, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you should uh, yeah, make a t shirt. <laughs> but no, I I can see where you're coming from because your point about Western society being more individualistic versus Eastern society where it's a lot more thinking about kind of what's the right it's collective. Word? It's a collective yeah, collectivism. Society. That's correct. You are, you are an expert in this topic, but you're right because a lot of in Western society, we're taught to think that way. It's a mindset, right? Where mm-hmm. from young, you know, we, we want to kind of cultivate, cultivate that individualism, have a sense of, you know, this is who we are and this is what I stand for. And, it's really great in that way because you really start to promote that critical thinking and kind of giving each person a chance to be the person that they want to be. And that's really amazing. But then it also can go too far where people start to (laughs) start to justify their individualism in a very extreme way where it's like, well, if I want to sell drugs Okay, these are very extreme examples, but if mm-hmm. if I want to do what I want, if I want to black out every Saturday, if I want to eat meat for breakfast every morning, then I am going to do it. And yes, they can, because no one can force you to do anything. It is your life. But then also, you know, being Asian as well and being brought up in, you know, a household that very much values family and very much puts emphasis on that. I am influenced by that mindset as well as like thinking about others. And that's something I think that Western society might lack. I wouldn't say that is a statement that should be applied to every, every Western society, but there is an element of, you know, needing to think about others and community. And sometimes that is more important than thinking about what I want. And it can be situational, dependent on circumstances. But I think it's an important thing, important value that society in general would benefit from because Mm -hmm. a lot of the issues that we face really stem from selfishness, greed. And those are, those are traits or those are, yeah, those are the characteristics that can stem from individualism and just thinking about me, me, me as opposed to a we. And I think that's a, that is fundamentally the core of a lot of conflict that we have in the world where we can't seem to agree or we are very firm on our own stances and are refusing to listen to others. And that can lead to a lot of conflict, whether it's we're talking about political or social. I mean, we saw during COVID, there was a lot of individualism, right? That was what I was going to mention. Yeah, exactly. Where everyone has seen that, gone to their local supermarket and seen how ridiculous people can be when they feel threatened. So all of a sudden it's all about themselves and they don't think about other people and they take everything that's on the shelves or they buy all the toilet paper and yeah, that's, that's, those are like the moments where you realize, is this, is this what we are as like a species where we need to fight over such mundane things? 
when we are we know we know that we have enough but for some reason we feel the need to take more and yeah not think about the other person that potentially actually needs this so yeah, i think this is sad but i think that mm. is a core part of the human experience on the other hand i also think humans can uh do great sacrifices as well so it is a spectrum but i think this greed or this desire to survive is very um, intrinsic in humanity and i think it's expressed in multiple ways wars for example i just think is mm. you know maybe i'm the biggest pacifist i'm a huge pacifist but I just I can't believe that people kill each other over land and resources and oil and stuff like that. Anyway, I feel like we we've moved so far from the realm of veganism. Though there are philosophical attachments that the average person who's like, "Oh, I just want to get into vegetarianism or veganism." is like, "Whoa, now I'm being bombarded with <laughs> western philosophy and then, you know, Arist- Aristotelian mindsets and oh my god, Nietzsche, what is this crazy stuff and Buddhism." So, let's rein it in slightly, just a little bit. Just a little bit. I've got a few other questions about veganism and vegetarianism. Are there substitutes to meat? I've eaten a few things before. I don't know what they were. And when Mm -hmm. I mean substitutes, I don't mean like before you were eating barbecue ribs. Now you eat a plant. I mean, as in food that tastes like meat and feel like meat. And if so, if they are, firstly, are they popular? Are they cheap? Are they widely available? And secondly, are they healthy? I've heard some people, and once again, I have to plead my ignorance because I don't know much about this topic, say that anything where it's like chemically grown like that, and once again, I'm not sure if I'm correct in saying this, is not the healthiest. So yeah, I threw 15 questions at you. Take it away. (laughs) Classic. Yes. There are heaps of substitutes and... Do they taste like meat though? Okay. I can't answer that, mate, because you're asking the wrong person. That's true. (laughs) Everyone asks me this. (laughs) It's seriously, they're like, oh, that fake ham. Does it taste like ham? I'm like, I don't know. You eat it and you tell me, excuse me. But (laughs) yeah, I do. I have gotten this question a lot over the years and I completely understand it because it's curiosity, right? You're like Mm -hmm. looking at something and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't look like ham kind of smells like it not really but there's something off about it and it's that curiosity that makes you you know want to like explore that option but you might not necessarily you know know where to access it and growing up vegetarian like definitely there were lots of substitutes but I'm sorry I can't answer whether they are like it Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I have over the years heard feedback I guess from other friends that make comments here and there they're like oh this is this is really like calamari or, you know, like this kind of tastes like real chicken, that sort of stuff. But I don't know. I I guess my question back to you just real quick is like, why do you ask this question? Like, why is it so important for a substitute to be just like the original? I guess it's because meat is very tasty and anything that would help a person transition. It's like smoking, right? You have nicotine patches and you have other substitutes or other ways to slowly take someone off and i think cold turkey is a great method and it shows a lot of discipline that you were able to switch so quickly but i don't think that is the mainstream approach and i don't think that's the most accessible approach to most people Mm -hmm. so because of that i think if you think about smoking nicotine patches are effective in the same way that having a substitute for meat which isn't meat right because if you're thinking about i don't want to kill an animal 
this is unethical, et cetera, et cetera, which I think there are great ideas. And I think there is a truth behind that. Well, then I think meatless meat is a great way to get people down the path. They can enjoy the taste that they're used to, right? Hmm. Because it's not easy for, for example, a person who's like 45, 35, who's been eating meat all their whole life to then immediately give up that taste, that routine, that feel that they're so used to. So in that sense, I think this is important. Yeah, 100%. Because like you said, I'm definitely not your typical case. Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't have that expectation that everyone can just cold, go cold turkey. And I grew up vegetarian, so I kind of had a head start in a way <laughs> than mm-hmm. a lot of other people. And it it's and when I say oh, I went cold turkey, I don't mean that I was a perfect vegan because no one is going to be a perfect vegan or perfect person in general. It's always a process of learning. And like there's certain things that I found out in the first few months where I'm like, oh, this has dairy in it. I didn't realize. Or it was like written in another language, the, the the ingredients. And so I didn't know and I wasn't aware, but I learned as I went. And that's really all you can ask for from people. So if someone out there actually does want to eat a little bit less meat in their diet, I don't think it's realistic to ask them to just immediately cut everything out. It's a matter of taking it step by step. And when you make any change in life, that's definitely the best way to go. So substitutes are definitely a great way of kind of replacing something like meat that you've been used to or seafood or that any sort of like animal product. Whether I'd say it would, there's there's way more options nowadays compared to like five or 10 years ago. And it's like, just to name a few, there's like Beyond Meat, which a company has become really popular because they have like all these products that very much taste like meat. That's not my words because I can't tell you that, mm-hmm. but that's what they market and that's what other people have said. And the texture is very similar, the coloring as well. And that's just one example. There's also Omni Omni Meat. That's like a more Asian like based one and Lam Yong, which has been around for ages. They do some really good kind of mock meat products as well. And there's so much out there. And the reason why there's so much is because like the demand has gone up over the years. And so a lot more companies are invested in trying to make these products and help people kind of reduce the meat in in their daily diet. Whether they're healthy, I wouldn't say they are. Just because something, and I don't, I personally don't like this when someone goes, oh, if you're vegan and vegetarian, you're obviously healthier because that is not an accurate statement in any way. When you're a vegan, you can still very much have heaps of palm oil and fat and, you know, what you said, like chemically produced foods that are not necessarily natural. And so when I was talking, when I mentioned earlier about different levels of vegan, this is where that comes in, where someone can be vegan and that means that they could eat, you know, chips, they could eat instant noodles, they can eat dark chocolate, they can eat all the meat substitutes that they want. That doesn't mean that they're healthier than someone who, say, um, is omnivore like you and, you know, has meat two to three times a week, but then also has vegetables and all of the other, you know, plant-based foods out there. And so when, when I say, when I look at substitutes, I definitely think they're really great because they have a place and there's a market out there for them to help people, you know, include it within their diet and enjoy something that is ethically 
better to consume, but not necessarily physically healthier to consume because they still have a lot of sodium, a lot of MSG, stuff like that. So I don't want to say they are healthy. There are Mm -hmm. some that are healthier, but they're definitely not healthy, healthy, as healthy as a plant-based diet where you're looking at, you know, beans and you're looking at grains and oats and, you know, vegetables, stuff like that. And I think that is what I like to personally consume more of. So I do have substitutes in my diet, but I don't eat it every day. Like I don't, I personally don't feel the need to. I try Which to eat what? more. Oh, like. That's an example. Oh, I highly recommend the lum yong chunky fish. This sounds weird. It does not look <laughs> like a fish, but it just looks like a block of white stuff wrapped in seaweed because that's pretty oh. much what it is. But I personally like it because the texture and the taste is delicious. Literally, it's mm. so good in soup and it's delicious pan fried. You so know what? highly recommend is, that. Is there a place around Sydney which does quote unquote mock meat? So vegetarian meat or vegan meat? Uh, because you mean like so, a supplier or well, like not, a restaurant? Not really a supplier, like a restaurant that, that specializes in mock meat. Because if so, my holidays come up pretty quickly. Are you interested <laughs> in like checking out? And I can actually tell you if it tastes like meat. And plus you okay. can introduce me to a new like cool vegetarian slash vegan restaurant. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, awesome. I love eating out. I love eating out. I need to, like, I need to cut back a little bit and <laughs> stay home a bit more. But, yeah, definitely. Like, there's heaps of restaurants out there. Not all of them will do substitutes. Generally, I kind of look at it in two buckets where Eastern and Western. Sounds weird, but I do. Where there's restaurants that do focus more on, like, Asian cuisine, whether it's mm. Vietnamese or Chinese, that sort of stuff. They do have a tendency to include more mock meat just because Mm -hmm. it's been around a lot longer because they originated from Taiwan and Malaysia. So because they've been produced there for so long, people are a lot more used to it. And so they've, they've incorporated it in like their vegetarian cuisine for a much longer time, but there are new ones more recently. Like last night I was at Lord of the Fries, which is basically this vegetarian fast food chain. I think it's is it vegetarian or vegan? Anyway. Vegetarian fast food chain. This, yeah, that, that sounds really that sounds a 21st weird. century <laughs> idea. Welcome. Only to the in the 21st century. century could you get a vegetarian fast food chain. <laughs> I know, right? But the idea is essentially like, think of Macca's, but everything is now vegan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like they use a lot of more Western substitutes. So when I say that, it's like beyond beyond meat, which is the thing that kind of looks like beef, smells like beef tastes like beef apparently so there are they are using it in that way but they also do a really good like chicken and waffle which sounds really weird but when I had it I was like this ain't bad so yeah it's it's definitely convenient that's what I see substitutes as and it's you know it's a really great way to kind of like start getting people interested in alternative alternative options. and But I definitely don't think it's healthy to eat every single day mm-hmm. uh, unless you, I don't know, work out like a maniac and drink tons of water. But yeah, there there's lots of options out there. It's just a matter of, it can be overwhelming, but I think just start with one or, you know, look at the most popular ones out there. There's heaps of like online reviews. There's lots of really great communities as well where you can join and just be like, hey, I just want to reduce my consumption of meat, can everyone give me recommendations? So yeah, the internet is a really great resource because you can find out so much about a product even before you buy it. I think all of us like to do that now. <laughs> sneaky, sneaky little internet research mm-hmm. in JB Hi-Five before I buy something. <laughs> but yeah. Can I also ask, 
more than what do you feel about pescatarians or even the idea of a practical vegetarian so mm-hmm. uh, let me just explain for the audience if you don't know pescatarian is someone who consumes fish but doesn't consume meat and a practical vegetarian or practical vegan i don't know if you've heard of this term but it's basically someone who will not eat meat five days or six days a week and then have a cheat day so what do you think about these archetypes or these what do you call them like builds these rpg builds like what do you think about RPG them? Builds. <laughs> yeah like this your character selection mode what do you think about oh them God. yeah so i i fully am supportive of people wanting to live their life in a particular way i actually have a few friends who they they themselves wanted to make that adjustment from being like a an omnivore or to becoming a pescatarian that sort of thing and i think it's really great because i see as i see any change that's going forward as really positive and i don't think it's realistic to impose an expectation that everyone needs to be vegetarian i don't think that is realistic for a lot of people because of their environment and the options that they have. But I think that if you are in a privileged position to make that choice, I applaud you because you are now thinking a lot more consciously about the lifestyle that you want to live. And so whether you're eating less fish or you're eating no meat or you're eating, you know, being vegan five days a week and then having a cheat day, well, props to you for (laughs) making that change because it's not easy and I recognize that. So I really, I do think that that is really, that's a really cool thing to see. That's become a lot more common now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't, I guess a lot of people would be like, aren't you offended if your friends, you know, eat meat or aren't you, aren't you like mad that someone is only pescatarian? I'm like, no, because I can't force them to be me. And I don't want to do that because at least the choices that they're making is is contributing to that more positive future that I want to see. And yeah, like just because they're pescatarian now doesn't mean they will be, you know, pescatarian forever. They might actually go a step further and, you know, cut dairy or, you know, stop, like stop buying leather goods, that sort of stuff. Like there's so many aspects to it. So yeah, I don't like to impose my opinion on others. It might be that collectivism mindset coming in where I'm just like, oh, I'm trying not to offend anyone, that kind of thing. <laughs> but yeah, that's how that's how I go about it pretty much. So yeah, don't don't worry, mate. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge you and be like, you're still hitting me? Oh gross. <laughs> I know oh, there are people is. out there who might come across as a bit intense and we're definitely not perfect as a community where there's a lot of people who are very much very forward in their activism and I have to say that I'm not that kind of person I'm not that person standing on the street you know holding up signs and you know asking people to stop eating eggs stop eating dairy stop eating meat because I think for me I'm not comfortable with doing that I think my preference in terms of provoking change is making the change within myself and the people around me getting slowly getting influenced by that. And I'm not purposefully doing that. I'm just living the life that I feel like I'm comfortable in living. And if someone, you know, is gets curious one day and they, there have been many people 
then they'll start the question and I can share my story. I can share my thoughts. And my, my, my goal isn't to like, I don't have a set goal in like terms of like how many people I want to convert. It's more that I just want to help people live a little bit more consciously. So I need to do that myself first. Okay. So to the final question, and I feel like the entire podcast has been me trying to work to this question. So I really want your honest opinion. Okay. Do you think people who are not vegans or vegetarians are cruel? And I'll give you my response afterwards. For me, I can say that most people are not purposefully making that choice. They are not trying to be cruel. They are not with intention, trying to cause harm to animals. I think a lot of people, if you think about yourself, really, it's like you grow up eating meat and it's normal and you enjoy it. And it's a thing that brings family together and brings friends together, that sort of thing. There's a lot of positive experiences that are attached to eating meat or just eating in general. And yeah, I think like a lot of people... They, especially if you're a kid, right? Like if you eat meat, you're not, I can't look at that child and be like, you're a cruel human. Why, why do you exist? Why are you, you know, harming animals and the environment? Why aren't you, you know, why, why aren't you questioning this? Well, the thing is like, not everyone is ready <laughs> to question it and everyone has their own life to live. And whether you start off like me growing up as a vegetarian or whether you grow up as a pescatarian or an omnivore, that doesn't necessarily mean you always have to be like that. And it just goes back to what kind of life do you want to live? And I think the key point is if you ever become aware of, or you have the opportunity to kind of look further into your choices in life, you should, because then you're living a more purposeful life. And if you look into the meat industry, the dairy industry, the egg industry, and you look into the practices that they use, I would say they are cruel. The industry itself that is producing the meat and the dairy and the eggs, the practices they use are cruel. I can't say all of them are because, for example, think about a local farmer who has a few chickens. That guy is not cruel. He's he's genuinely breeding them because he he enjoys it and he's taking care of them as opposed to a huge corporation that has millions of chickens in these sheds and they aren't ever exposed to sunlight and they basically live in cramped dark spaces. That is cruel. So the consumer itself isn't necessarily cruel, but their choices are supporting that cruelty. And I think that's the distinction, but also going one step further is that once you become aware you can no longer say that you're ignorant of these practices ignorant of how how things basically get to the supermarket and get on your plate once you're aware but you choose to do nothing then that's something that you need to think about a little bit further because if you are aware now you can no longer put that flag up and be like oh sorry I didn't know well now you know so now you need to take a stance on are you going to continue to support this industry or are you going to make a change so yeah that's something that I think 
everyone at some point in their life will go through. And that's not just related to food. That is related to many things in life, anything that you consume, really. I think that's a really mature point and a really mature stance. I, as someone who does consume meat, think there is a cruelty to to it. And I think the shops or the marketing or the companies are so effective at portraying meat as something which is not from an animal. Very similar to what you said with leather. And I'll give you an example. So recently, my dad, who is a chef or was a chef, he cooked a lobster and the lobster was still alive when I came to his, to the place, to his house. And then, you know, it was cooked and cut up and stuff like that. And just seeing it move was unnerving. But I always knew that once a lobster, like I'm eating an actual animal, but to see it move was unnerving. And I think it's because meat and the consumption of meat is so detached from the actual animal. There Mm -hmm. is so many steps in between, whether it's packaging, marketing, or just the delivery, or even just the geographical nature, or like where these animals exist, is usually pretty far from suburban metropolitan cities that we disconnect the products. And I think uh, this is something that I've said before. I do want to move towards uh, veganism or vegetarianism, but there's a difference between, you know, and I'm putting myself in the spotlight. There's a difference between wanting to do it and then actually doing it. So, but yeah, I think you bring up great points and, and, you know, maybe I'm calling just, I'm just calling myself out, but I think there is cruelty in the consumption of meat. And that's how I feel. Maybe you could say that life is cruel. And I think, that is true as well. And that a lion eating a sheep is just part of life. And humans doing this is just part of the human nature. But whether that's true or not, I, I think it does meet my criteria of is it cruel? And I do think there is cruelty behind it. So mm. yeah. yeah uh, like, what's I your think, what, what are your thoughts? No, like what you what you said about like your personal recount there. We're being we're being disconnected, and when you actually see what you're about to consume, that connection of oh, this was alive, and now it's dead, and now I'm going to consume it. That's something that basically majority of society are disconnected from because, like you said, a lot of a lot of these dairy products, these meat products that are produced, they are far, far, far away from our normal suburban homes. And I think I'm really bad at quoting, but there is a saying where like if abattoirs were made of glass, everyone would be vegetarian. And if what was made of glass? If abattoirs. What on earth familiar? abattoirs? Oh, oh, am I saying it correctly? Abattoirs? But basically the, that's where animals go to slaughter. It's a slaughterhouse. Yes. That's where they basically, you know, kill the animal and then mm-hmm. break it up into parts to sell. So yeah, there's... There, there is cruelty behind it, but I would say like you are becoming more and more conscious about it. You, you know, in your earlier life was more ignorant of it, not on purpose. That's just because of how, you know, everything, everything is structured where you don't see it. You, you're not aware of it yet. There's nothing to provoke that thought or, you know, get you to question it at all because everything is so prettily packaged in modern society, you know, you go to a supermarket, everything looks so nice and laid out and 
you know, everything's already re- ready. That steak is a steak. It's not, you don't associate steak with a cow. You don't mm, think about, sure. oh, you don't think about, oh, you know, wait a minute, what is venison? Oh, that's deer. They just, they've literally remarketed or rebranded what the actual thing is. And yeah, like that point about what is leather? It's animal skin. What is gelatin? It's literally like animal intestines and all of that. And there's so much, obviously, that has been shielded from society. And it's difficult to break out of that. But when you do start to become more aware, I applaud you because now you've taken a step forward and you're, you're started your, your, your essentially realization of what is actually happening and not living in a society that is, you know, really controlled a lot by marketing and media and all of that. I think you can really <laughs> align to that, because, especially with your, yeah, with your interest in politics and, mm-hmm. you know. You actually remember quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. You love talking about this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're not, no. you're not the standard person. Oh Stanley, no. Okay? Everyone knows this. <laughs> Everyone knows, exposed. But yeah, I'm like, you know, whether it takes you a year, five years, 20 years, we don't know how long our life is, but if you can start doing it sooner rather than later, I really do encourage that. And I know you'd like to read a lot about Hinduism and like this, the, the, well, well, not I'm just Hinduism, obvious. but a lot of, you've mentioned it so many times on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying, but I think it's really cool because, you know, that's not, that's not something that everyone is exposed to. So the fact that your listeners can start to get exposed to that. That's really cool because I personally am not that well read into into Hinduism. So I think it's really interesting. You should probably do a podcast on that. But It's on the books. It's on the books. It's coming. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like just one step at a time. And, you know, if this podcast can help someone at least start to, you know, look at what is actually happening in society, the modern practices and if they can start to, you know, support local, be more sustainable or, you know, buy a little bit more consciously, that's something that I'm happy with. And I just hope that everyone can do that to, and just everyone that is in a position to can do that. Well, those are great words to end with. Thank you, Yenfei. And thank you for jumping on. Thank you for sharing your opinions. This has been a topic that I've been thinking about for a long time and I even, I even think I spoke about this with you, not in as much detail, uh, a few years ago when we when we met up and, and had that conversation. So thank you for just bouncing ideas back and forth for me. And uh, I'm really, I'm sure that, you know, me and the audience really do appreciate it. So cool. Uh, any All last good. words, Yenfei? Thanks for having me. You know, if anyone is ever, is ever interested in living a little bit more consciously, I would say do it. Don't wait. Nothing is stopping you. The internet is full of resources. Mm. Amen. All right. Thank you, Yenfei. And I'll chat to you soon. Thank you for tuning into Safety Lost with Stanley Ching. If you enjoyed this, then please leave a rating or a comment. I hope you're leaving with a new idea. And make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and other places that can be found in the description.